0: the sermon series that we're in right now we're called back together we're looking at how scripture teaches us to build reconciliation in our lives in our relationships and in our communities and uh, normally this would be the point at which i recap for you the previous uh, sermons in the series but actually i don't have to because the passage that we're reading today is going to do that i originally set out a series of uh, topics that i found in paul and today it was when we were going to do Philemon and as I got to Philemon what I found out was that Philemon actually we get to see Paul as a pastor helping someone through reconciliation and he practices everything we've talked about so far I definitely didn't plan this out because I have changed those topics since I planned out the series um, as I've been, like we talked about last week um, and so in this passage we actually get to see Paul be a reconciler and, and lead someone through that. And then he's going to add one more layer on top of that, which is partnership. Uh, this is going to be my last sermon in the series. Pastor Jack is going to do the final sermon. You remember I ranked these in terms of what I thought were, were the, was the difficulty level? And so he gets to do the hardest one uh, next week. And he actually, that's the topic he wanted to do. So I'm good on him for that. Um, so, he, and I'll let you find out from him what we're talking about next week. But today we're talking about partnership, which is the translation of a Greek word koinonia that comes up in the letter to Philemon. Philemon is a letter that Paul wrote to an individual and dealing with a specific situation. It's very short. It's one chapter. And so uh, we're going to read all the way through it, but before we get there, I'm going I'm to give you the background, which we learn from piecing together details in the letter, But just so we can read it through once. I'll give you the background, and then we'll read through the letter, and I'll show you the different steps that Paul is hitting with Philemon. And then we're going to look at this partnership element that he brings in. And then finally, we're going to talk about what it tells us about reconciliation to realize that it's a partnership. So let's start by understanding the situation in the letter to Philemon. Who was Philemon? Philemon was a leader in the Colossian church. And actually, it's very likely that this letter was sent in a bundle with the letter to the Colossians. There's people mentioned in both, and so they probably went together. And so Philemon was a, um, a Gentile in Colossae who had become a Christian and uh, became a leader in the church, and Paul writes a letter to him. There's one other character you need to know in this story, and his name is Onesimus or Onesimus. And Onesimus was Philemon's runaway slave. And in a culture where uh, they used, you know, slave labor played as big a role in their economy as gasoline does in ours, um, runaway, runaway slaves were a big issue. It was a, it, was a, it was a bad thing. You know, they didn't want slaves to run away or the whole system breaks down. So the fact that Onesimus did a big thing when he ran away. Now we're not sure whether he like ran off in the middle of the night or whether Philemon sent him on a mission and then he, he went off on his own, but somehow uh, Onesimus ran away from Philemon, okay? But obviously the story doesn't end there. Somehow Philemon or Onesimus ends up meeting Paul. He encountered Paul and through his encounter with Paul he became a Christian. And we're not exactly certain where this is, Paul's in prison at this point, but it's probably in Ephesus. And so he goes to Ephesus, he meets Paul and he becomes a Christian. And now this creates a situation where now Philemon and Onesimus are both Christians, and there's obviously this big thing between them, this big conflict, and Paul knows both of them, and Paul has to deal with this, and so uh, Paul sent Onesimus back to Philemon to reconcile the two of them. He sends him back, and he sends Onesimus with a letter, because he's talked to Onesimus through his side of things, but he sends a letter for Onesimus to give to Philemon, To talk to Philemon about his side of the issue. And so, this is Paul acting as a pastor to someone he knows, helping them to work through reconciliation with Onesimus. Uh, And so, what we're going to do now is I'm going to read through the whole letter, and I'll point out as we go where the different topics we've talked about in our sermon series fit into this letter, because Paul hits all of them. Here's how it begins. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul is a Master. I was struggling to come up with a word in first service, Master, convincer, master. and and someone said after the service, you should just say manipulator. <laughs> Which is a little little has the negative tones, but he is he's he's really good at communicating with. Uh, Philemon, because what he's saying, he starts by complimenting Philemon and, and hitting the common ground that they have as brothers in Christ, right? And he specifically calls out something that Philemon is good at and that Paul is very grateful for about him, and that thing is his capacity for love. You see the word came up highlighted there three times. That word is agape. We've talked about that word before. And it's, you, he's highlighting this thing that Philemon obviously believes is important and apparently is good at practicing, which is this biblical sense of love, which is a commitment to another person a commitment to their good over your own desires or impulses at the time. You remember that was one of the topics we talked about, as how biblical love means I commit to another person's good even when it's not convenient for me or it's not what I want to do or it doesn't feel particularly good or you know that kind of thing. That's what the Bible means by love. And this is what Paul means by love. And so Paul, he says, I could command you to do what I'm going to ask you to do, but I shouldn't need to because I know you are a person who loves the way God loves. And if you love that way and you care about that love, then you're going to see that what I have to ask of you is the right thing to do. So he starts with that common ground talking about love and its role in reconciliation. Next he says this, It is as none other than Paul, an old man now, and also a prisoner of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. That's, that last one's a joke. Um, but to get it, you have to know that Onesimus means useful. So it's funny in Greek, apparently. Um, he was useless to you, but he's useful in you know, Onesimus to me. Paul was funny. Uh, I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. You can see Paul is bending over backwards to make sure that this that Philemon does this of his own free will. Why does he care so much about whether Philemon does it under instructions or does it of his own free will? I would argue it's because Paul cares about Philemon's self-control. Remember, the first thing we talked about was the importance of self-control in reconciliation, the fact that we need to be able to choose to do the right thing even when we don't want to. That is the very first step. And for Paul, it's not enough just to force or compel Philemon to do the right thing. Philemon needs to grow in this. Philemon needs to practice self-control. It needs to come from Philemon because the goal isn't to have people who only do the right thing when Paul directly sends them a letter telling them to do the right thing. The point is to have people who can choose to do the right thing even after Paul's gone. So self-control comes into play here. We still haven't found out what he's asking Philemon to do yet. So he says, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Remember, we quoted this passage last week when we were talking about this idea of charity, meaning the love that God has and Jesus has for those who are less powerful, who are in in lower positions, and that that love, what it does in that case is it elevates the person Right, it elevates the person to the same level as as the person who loves them. Right, it's, it's concerned with improving their position, and clearly, because Philemon understands love, he understands this part, and and Paul can appeal to it and cast a vision for Philemon of what's going on. The purpose of all of this this unpleasantness that's come up between him and Onesimus is it's the idea that maybe Onesimus will come back and be your brother, and because Philemon is a Christian, he believes that that is a good thing. Uh, and outside of the of outside of the church, a slave thinking they were your brother was a bad thing, right? Because you need to keep them in your place. But Paul has a vision that he shared with Philemon of this elevation, and so this is where we see charity come into play. That Philemon cares about this this vision of elevating Onesimus to be on a, a be in a better place than he was when he ran away. And finally, now Paul is going to get to the request. So if you consider me a partner. Welcome him as you would welcome me. Now that word welcome is the same word that we used for acceptance when we looked in Romans 14. When Paul says, accept a weaker brother without arguing with them, we talked about that word meaning to welcome them in, bring them into your home, have dinner with them, embrace them. It um, actually can also mean, you know, it's used for eating, like bring them in. This is what Paul is asking Philemon to do. When Onesimus gets back and he's standing there watching you read this letter, I want you to welcome him, bring him in, embrace him the same way you would embrace or welcome me. Without dealing with, without arguing, without fighting, without hashing out the, the unpleasantness, just welcome him. That was the step that we we talked about a couple weeks ago. It's been really hard for us as Americans to actually welcome people with whom we have beef, right? With whom we have an issue. We, We need to sort out the issue before we welcome them. And he says, welcome him back. If he has done any wrong to you or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Kind of left up to our imaginations and possibly even Philemon's, what more than that means? How much farther is he supposed to go? But this certainly isn't supposed to be a begrudging, okay, at least I'll let him have dinner here, but then that's it. right? He's welcoming him in and doing even more than that. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That is the whole letter of Philemon. And you can see how he walks through every step that we've talked about in reconciliation. And he he walks Philemon through that. But there's one more level that's happening here. And that's what we're talking about today, and that's partnership. Paul is using partnership, or the Greek word is koinonia, in order to create this reconciliation. It comes up twice in Philemon. Uh, He says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good work we share for the sake of Christ. And then when he makes that big request, he says, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Clearly, this idea of partnership is important to uh, Philemon's understanding of their relationship, but not only does he mention it a couple of times, but Paul practice, brings partnership in at every step. And what we're going to do now is we're going to go through the letter and see all these different levels and ways in which Paul partnered with them and brings them in partnership with him in order to create reconciliation. It's actually it's amazing how much happens in one in a one chapter letter. The first thing that happens, the first level of partnership, is that Paul introduced both Onesimus and Philemon to the faith. He preached to them the gospel and they became Christians. We see this in, uh, in verse 19. It says, I, Paul, am writing to you with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Why does he owe him his very self? Because he, Paul is the one who led him to Christ. He also says in verse 10, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. What we're seeing here is that Paul led each of them to Christ, and that was the first step of his partnership. And that's really important for us to remember that what sets us apart as Christians in terms of the way we, the reconciliation we can offer to the world, is not that we have the best self help books or the best principles or even the best sermon series on reconciliation, but because we have the gospel, because we have the Holy Spirit, because God is at work through the church to bring people together. That's what ultimately makes the difference. And as long as we leave God and leave Jesus out of our reconciliation process, we're never going to get there. It's either, we're either going to have to settle for something less, or it's going to blow up in our faces. And so the first step for Paul in, bring, in being able to create reconciliation is that he's brought both of these men into the faith. They are believers, and that gives them common ground, even though in every other way they are completely divided by their culture and their society. But he doesn't just connect them with God and he doesn't just connect them with the church. He also takes the partnership to another level He's, uh, because Paul partnered with Onesimus and Philemon in his ministry. And actually, now I kind of wish I had changed the phrasing there. And he partners with them in bringing them into the gospel, but then he has them partner with him in his ministry because each of them gets involved in supporting Paul. We see this in verse 1 where it says, where he calls Philemon our dear friend and fellow worker which, uh, based on the way he talks about him as a partner, it means w- at least one of two things. He he put Philemon, like he trained Philemon and put Philemon in, his, in leadership in Colossae, and also it's very likely that Philemon is financially supporting Paul while he's in prison. Because when you got thrown in prison in the ancient world, they didn't pay for your meals, they didn't provide your meals, they didn't provide you anything. It was up to your friends or your family to come in and feed you. And so Philemon was probably financially supporting Paul as well and had been financially supporting him in his ministry. We also know that Onesimus got got involved because he says, he made that joke about Onesimus is useful to me. And he doesn't want to send Onesimus back because Onesimus has been helpful, but he will for the sake of their relationship. Because Onesimus didn't just receive the gospel. Paul didn't just have him say the prayer and then go on his way. He actually had him get involved in the ministry. And that can be an incredibly important process. That is an incredibly important process in our discipleship to actually get involved, to get plugged in, and to, to work in the kingdom. And so now Paul has an established relationship with both of these men, and it is because he has that relationship with them that he's able to take the next step in their partnership, which is that he used these relationships with Onesimus and Philemon to encourage them towards reconciliation. He has an established relationship, he has credibility with each of them, and because of that, he's able to send them to each other. Right? It says in verse 12 that he said, I... uh, He says, I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. We don't know how Onesimus felt, whether he was like fighting it and refusing to go, or probably not. He was certainly uneasy, right? It was a bit scary to go back. Um, But Paul sent him. Paul's played a role in having him go back. And obviously, Paul is playing a role in Philemon receiving him, because he sent the letter to convince him to receive Onesimus back. So Paul is urging them on both sides, based on the relationship that he has with them, to reconcile with each other. So he's partnered with each of them individually. But now, as we go a little bit further down this, this, uh, this path, this line of thinking, we also see that Paul gets involved in the partnership himself. He doesn't just say, hey guys, I hope it works out. I think you should go out for coffee and I really hope, I really hope you hash it out together. Paul actually uh, gets involved on a deeper level. Paul took a personal stake in Onesimus and Philemon's relationship. And to see how this is happening, you have to understand that in the Roman Empire, if you harbored a slave and you were caught, you owed the slave owner for the lost labor. You had to pay for what their labor was worth for how many days you had them in your house. Which means Paul is on the hook, uh, for this if he has, if, you know, if he's been harboring Philemon or if he's been harboring Onesimus. And that's why it it matters when he says if, if Onesimus has done anything wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. That's not an idle thing. Like, like Paul actually could owe a lot in this. He probably doesn't have much to his name. It's also possible that Onesimus robbed Philemon when he left. That could be another reason why Paul needs to, to put this down. Obviously, I don't think Paul wants Philemon to require money in order to be reconciled. But Paul is willing, willing to put his na- put his himself out there to facilitate this. He's investing in the only way he can from prison to create that reconciliation. So the way I envision this is you've got. Philemon's hand and Onesimus' hand, and then Paul is putting his hand on top of it to help create this reconciliation. But there's one more level, and this is the terrifying level, right? This is the one that you guys don't want me to actually practice, at least in the way Paul did it. Paul involved the whole church in their reconciliation. This is one of those things they did in the New Testament that would be terrifying if we did it today, Okay? Because you may have noticed, okay, this is a letter that Paul writes to Philemon to sort this issue out, right? But he doesn't actually just write it to Philemon. Let's go back to the beginning of the letter. It says, To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. They read this letter to the entire church. Can you imagine if you came to me for marriage counseling and when I figured out what you guys needed to do I just read the instructions from the pulpit for the whole church to hear? You want to see attendance go down real quick. <laughs> and I'm not saying I'm going to do that. I am saying that that's essentially what Paul is doing here. Is he is bring well, not quite, but he's bringing the whole church like they read this in public. The whole church heard this, which means the whole church knew about the conflict. The whole church knew what the apostle Paul had told them to do and would be able to keep, hold them accountable. Like They're going to know whether they follow through on this or not. right? So the whole church is involved. And not just the whole church in Colossae. But you'll notice it, the letter comes from Paul and Timothy, but it also at the end mentions Epaphras, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. There's a whole group of people on both ends who know about this issue, who are praying about this issue, who care about this, and they are all involved in this reconciliation. So you can see in this visual that I've created in my head, there's Philemon's hand and Onesimus' hand and Paul's hand and the whole church piling their hands on top of this one conflict that they're they're trying to sort out. And this is how Paul, as a pastor, affects reconciliation. He develops these relationships. He uses those relationships to bring people together. He invests in the reconciliation himself, and he gets the whole church involved. This is how Paul, the master reconciler who's been teaching us everything we've been looking at for the past month, actually does this in practice. This can be a little scary, because we like to keep our conflicts and our, our emotional wounds and all of that private, but it can also be really encouraging, because I don't know about you, but I don't always feel up to solving all of these kinds of problems myself. Right? I'm not sure. I certainly am not going to stand up here and tell you that I know how to solve all of your conflicts because I don't even know how to solve all of mine. Right? And I'm working on them. But it is, what he's painting a picture of here is of a church that does reconciliation together. This partnership that we, we work with each other. And so what Paul is demonstrating is that partnership is an essential part of, how, how, of biblical reconciliation. And so if that's the case, then how, do, what, how does that teach us to view reconciliation in general? This is where I want to land, how I want to end. There's three things that we should observe from this. Number one is that reconciliation is not a personal matter. It is a kingdom matter. You were worried I was going to say public, weren't you? I said kingdom for a reason, because I'm not saying that it's public where we all need to broadcast every issue and everybody needs to be in everybody else's business, although I do think we protect our business a little more than we should um, and a little more than can be healthy sometimes. Uh, But it is a kingdom matter. What that means is that when we become Christians, we join a movement that is is designed to to heal relationships, right? And so my broken relationships are no longer some personal option that I have of how whether or not I want to to deal with them. They are a matter of the mission of the church. I have signed on to a mission that is to heal relationships, and so it's not just a matter of being up to me whether I'm going to heal these relationships or not. And I felt personally convicted in this series because I, I hope... I, maybe I should have said this the first series. I did not teach this series because I have n- no need for reconciliation in my life. I'm, I'm not up here because I have mastered this and there is no conflict or no disagreement or no broken relationships in my life. That's not where I'm at. And, and these are things that I have to put in practice and there are relationships that I need to work on. And, and what I can't do is, is settle for the fact that I can say nice words about reconciliation and call that good. Because it's not, it's not a matter of my personal decision whether, there, whether it's okay for there to be um, brokenness in my relationships. Now, remember what I've been saying since day one, that we do not have full control over this. God gives us the ability to refuse his reconciliation, which means it isn't entirely on me to make reconciliation in my life. It's possible for people to refuse it, and I've done my best. So I'm not trying to make you carry the guilt for every broken relationship in your life. But what I'm saying is, we can't simply say, well, I'm okay with this brokenness as long as I pay lip service to reconciliation. We are called to, to deal with these relationships. And that's why Paul is willing to talk to a whole church about one broken relationship in that church. Now that's, that's a, bit scary, a bit of a scary area to go into, so let me make it a little bit more encouraging. Because what this also means is that reconcil- reconciliation is a team sport. It involves many people working together. You are not on your own. You don't have to be on your own. It's okay if you don't know how to sort out the situation you're in, if you don't know how to get through it, if you don't know what the next steps are, if you're an Onesimus or a Philemon, that's okay because God will give you Paul's. That's what the church, one of the things the church is for, is to bring people together so that we can build each other up, that we can help each other. This is a team sport, so you are not alone. And I would encourage you, as you have those relationships where you, like between Paul and Onesimus and Philemon, where you have someone you can bring into this that you trust to involve in these challenges, do that. It also means that if you are a person who does not have huge conflicts hanging over you that, that you're dealing with, maybe if you're free from, from conflict right now, it might be because God is freeing you up to be a Paul. Because if this is a team sport, that means we win as a team, we lose as a team, right? That means that it, matters, it should matter to me if my brother or sister is dealing with conflict, even if that conflict it does not directly affect me, right? And so we need to be building relationships with other people. We need to be available to other people as their Paul, because this is a team sport. And this is why the church is here. This is why the church has been so effective in bringing reconciliation in the world. And I know the, the, the church, there's this weird thing about the press the church gets, about all the bad things that have happened in church history that gets bad press. But the truth is that the church uh, has been the greatest cause for reconciliation, bringing people together the past 2,000 years, bar none. And the church has done amazing things. God has done amazing things through the church in bringing people together because this is a team sport, because it puts us in, in the room together. And in fact, one of the most more powerful than most of the things even that we teach is the way we live together. You know, the, the Bible does not actually say that, they, that we should abolish slavery. But it does say the masters and slaves should worship together. And it's amazing the power that that has. When you worship together, it makes it really hard to treat another person as your property. And what it leads to is what it you'd expect it to lead to is what it has led to in history is people realizing that they simply can't continue to own each other as property. This is why slavery dissipated in the Roman Empire and why the movement, unfortunately, slavery came back and why there's a movement to abolish it again because of this sense as we recognize our common humanity and our common uh, brotherhood before Christ, it's just not compatible. So the way we are on a team together is incredibly powerful and it makes a huge difference in the world. Now, there's one last thing that I got to tell you because you could, t- if you were to, wanted to take this message the wrong way, you would take it as permission to start going around and declaring into every person's life exactly where it's broken and exactly how it needs to be fixed. Unfortunately, Christians will do this. We'll say, "Hey, I don't know you, but I know your problem, and I know how to fix it. And here's what it is." Right? That's not what I'm telling you to do, because that's not what Paul did. Paul did not write letters to random Romans with broken relationships and tell them how to sort them out. Paul wrote a letter to people that he had a person he had a deep relationship with. He was building on a foundation with that person that he had established for a long time. So reconciliation can only be built on a foundation of fellowship. A lot of times we like to get involved at the crisis point and come in and start fixing it. And that's not how this works. What this work it starts with building the relationship, which Paul did so much farther back than when this crisis point hit. He had a relationship with Philemon already, and he developed a relationship with Onesimus so that when this time came, he could speak to them in that time and build that reconciliation. In our, our uh, elder meetings, we've been watching these videos as part of an elder conference, and they, they said a quote that I, I love. Uh, it says, that we need to build bridges that can carry the weight of truth. And that's really profound. We need to have bridges with people, we need to have relationships with people that are strong enough to carry truth when it needs to be spoken. Because the truth spoken in the wrong way at the wrong time can, can just not work. But as we build these relationships, that makes all the difference. And this is why we do small groups especially our sermon-based small groups. The reason we have the the sermon-based small groups is not because the, the sermon is the greatest curriculum you could ever have, but it's because it's not about the curriculum. It's because it's just giving you an opportunity to participate with other people and build relationships with them so that at some point when you have a crisis, there is a Paul in your life you can go to. Or when someone else has a crisis, you can be their Paul. The small groups are designed to build relationships. And one way or another, we should be doing that with each other. If the only way you know the other people in your church is sitting next to them, and seeing the top half of their face in church, that's not the goal. The goal is to go deeper, to get connected, and to have these relationships that can bear us up in times of struggle and in times when we need help. Reconciliation is a team sport, and I encourage you to be on the team and get involved. And that leads me to, uh, as we close, I want to encourage you to consider taking the next step, And that next step will look different depending on where you're at. For some of you, the next step will be giving your life to Jesus. If you have not given your life to Jesus, that is the most essential thing in all of this. Jesus has to be the center of of the reconciliation that we build, and, and that is what makes this different. What we're talking about here the hope that we have. So if you uh, have not given your life to Jesus, today is the best day. I encourage you to come forward during the song. If you're online, you can talk to a Christian that you trust or connect with the, the church office. We'd love to talk you through that. But give your life to Jesus today. If you've given your life to Jesus, but you need a church home to get involved in, then we encourage you to sign up for our Connect class. This is where you find out about us and what we do and how we live out this this calling to fellowship and reconciliation. Our next one is on June 6th. We'd love for you to be a part of that and just spend an hour and a half with us learning about the church and about what membership means. Another next step could be for you to join one of these small groups that I've been talking about. And you can check the box on your Connect card there and get involved in, in building relationships with people in the church so that you can have the, that foundation for, uh, for when you need it. And finally, uh, if you're in a small group, we'd love for you to get involved in a service team. Get involved in, in the ministry of the church. The first place we really need help right now is in the nursery, but there are a lot of ways you can get plugged in depending on the way you're gifted. So I'd encourage you to consider one of these next steps as we stand and sing our final song.